Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and investment wisdom collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring you the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they've learned and what you need to know today. Today, I'm pleased to have in studio the only time we've had a second, like, repeat offender. Mm. Repeat offender. That's a great way to start here. <laughs> and somewhat, Re- some, somewhat tied into what she, uh, the work she does here. I don't know if that's a good term to use here, right? <laughs> anyway, sorry to uh, to uh, deflate. <laughs> Regan Phillips, that welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Bart. It's good to see you. I'm gonna it's build her to I'm gonna build her back up. You say yes, wealth do. makers and dream chasers. Today you gotta add a third category, world shakers. Oh. World shakers. World yeah. shakers or world shapers. Maybe that's the way to put it here. World right? shaper. I'm gonna say she's a world shaper. Yeah. Oh. So Regan, I haven't seen you in, in well over three months now. How are you? I, I am doing all right, Bart. It has been a while. How are you? Yeah, as good as it can be expected, I think, like most of us, just adapting yeah. to this new uh, new world. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely been a, a time, and it has been heavy and challenging, and uh, fraught with uh, you know the need to be innovative and uh, creative, and um, yeah. But I'm 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 uh, I'm very happy to be connecting with you today and to have the opportunity to be a repeat. Uh, uh, sharer. <laughs> guest. Guest is the <laughs> correct term show. here. <laughs> Thank you. So let's get into that. And the reason I thought it was so important is because you work for such a great cause. And, and, and like most charities are, are experiencing, I think, tougher times. So we'll get into that. But so let's talk about CASA. And let's, let's remind our guests about what CASA is, its mission, and so forth. So do you mind um, helping us with that? Of course, not not a problem. Um, CASA uh, stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. We are a, uh, a national organization, and uh, we are essentially empowered by the juvenile court to create meaningful uh, relationships between incredibly big-hearted community volunteers and children that are in the foster care system. Um, these volunteers become uh, both an, uh, a voice for them in the courtroom, uh, writing reports and, and updating uh, social workers and other folks as to what these children need and what's going on with them. But they're also a role model and a friend uh, to a child who has really had a traumatic time and as in need of someone to look out for them. Such a such a needed needed uh, position. So and thank you for all your efforts there. And can um, I just jump in for one quick second and tell everybody I had personal experience with this. Uh, Mar- uh, my wife and I only have one daughter. We adopted her through foster care. And uh, I was impressed with not only the social workers who were assigned to her case as she's in foster care. And, and then we had an advocate trying to f- help us find somebody to adopt through foster care. But the court-appointed special advocate, this person that shows up and is not really there to serve anybody but the kids' needs and to really help guide them through Oh, it's a confusing thing for me, the court system. You can imagine a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old. Yeah. It's confusing for most people in general. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm. But thank you for that, Paul. Yeah. So they do, they do God's work here, really, I'm telling you. Here, yeah, that's, so. that is for sure. Regan, your, your background's even interesting. Do you mind reminding everyone how you got to where you are today? Sure. 
Uh, I, it's actually sort of been a full circle experience for me with CASA, uh, one of those organizations that gets into your heart and is hard to shake. Um, I started as an intern actually with CASA of New York City when I was in graduate school uh, studying social work. And uh, something about this mission really resonated with me and motivated me to want to become uh, an advocate on a, on a larger scale, prompting my, de my uh, decision to go to law school. Um, uh, and I actually came back to Orange County for that and uh, practiced in this area upon passing the bar, representing kids in foster care um, here locally in Orange County for some years. I uh, served as a member of the board of CASA um, and got involved with some of the fundraising um, years before I ever even stepped into the office to work um, as part of the staff. Uh, which happened, gosh, it'll be five years ago in July, um, initially running programs and now uh, running the organization as CEO uh, since December of 17. Um, but having had that experience and seeing firsthand in the courtroom setting how valuable, I mean, I, I truly thought a law degree and an ability to advocate uh, from that angle would, would allow me to make greater change. And what I think I've come to realize is uh, that it is the advocate, it is that single relationship that can be so um, powerful in terms of creating change for these kids, um, despite the well intentions of all the professionals that are in that space. Yeah, yeah, wow. So COVID has impacted so many different people, so many businesses, so many different uh, charities. How has, how has CASA been affected by this? Yeah, well, there's a number of different different ways that the organization has been impacted. And if, if I may, I'd like to, to focus really uh, initially on, on how this impacts the kids, you know, from the kids that we serve, from the perspective of, you know, um, global pandemic, uh, increased stress in the home, uh, quarantine, um, you know, it's scary to think that kids that are in really marginalized situations or potentially unsafe situations were now out of the public eye. Um, most children who are victims of neglect or abandonment, which are the kids that we serve in the foster, uh, foster system, um, come to the attention of the court because of a mandated reporter, most typically a teacher a teacher or a nurse. And so now you've got, you know, a, a higher correlation of or, or higher instances of stress in the home and um, and less opportunity for any kind of concerning behavior to be identified by someone who can do something about it. So uh, we actually saw a number of things. We saw the number of referrals and detentions being um, uh, dropped severely because there just weren't these eyes on kids anymore. Uh, there, weren't, there wasn't an opportunity for mandated reporters to, to call anything in or to report a concern. It doesn't mean it's not happening. And, and in fact, it, it's, you know, it's suspected to be on the rise uh, by the number of hospitalizations. That's actually the cases that we're seeing at this point, really severe cases where there's been a hospitalization of some kind. And then it also led to, you know, a, a, a decrease in contact between social services and the kids who need their support, as well as the court. No hearings, no face-to-face -face visitations. Needs uh, are frequently fall through the cracks, but during this period of time, they were falling through the cracks a little bit more substantially and, um, and a little bit more quickly just to the timeliness. So we found that our advocates who, though they weren't able to have face-to-face -face contact with kids during this time, 
it was often the advocate that was identifying a, uh, a need or a challenge um, and being the one to be able to address it because they got to it first and social services has just not been able to quite keep up given the, the changes. So the need has increased dramatically. Um, we're paying special attention to the kids on our wait list because those folks, those kids aren't matched and don't have that, that special set of eyes and ears right now. Um, making sure that we're in contact with them. And we've also seen a huge uptick in the number of um, potential volunteers coming through training. We did a, a real quick pivot and moved everything online. Um, something we've been talking about, but you know, push comes to shove, you gotta make it happen. And, yeah. um, and thankfully folks have been showing up and doing it, which is great. We'll have, be prepared with an army of volunteers for when this need uh, is revealed at the end of all of this. Wow. Yeah. Can you give us some of the, the background information on this when we adopted our daughter which was a number of years ago now it was like a half a million kids in the foster care system half of whom are never going home to anybody um, which was the sad reality we take these kids out to protect them and then can't find them a home and then at 18 just cut them loose and give them a couple hundred dollars and say good luck and i hope you make it um is what is the size of the population today Give us some scary statistics. And then how do you guys get paid? It's a court-appointed special advocate. Wouldn't the courts pay all of your services there? Oh, so many so many layers there, Paul. Well, uh, good question. To, to your question about the sheer numbers, um, we're talking right here in Orange County. That's the, the CASA organization that I, that I lead. And in Orange County alone, there are over 3,500 kids in care um, at any given time. A number that's likely to again escalate uh, on the heels of all of this uh, COVID crisis. But the state of California has the largest number of kids in care uh, across the entire country with uh, 83,000. So the numbers are, uh, are really, really uh, bleak in in California. Um, the bulk of that being in LA uh, County. And yeah, I mean these children are removed again uh, for not for anything that they've done it's reasons of abuse neglect abandonment and there's a need to for the courts and social services to intervene and try to uh, improve their situation to the extent that that's possible and if that can't be done successful reunification between a child and their biological parents then it's to find something better for them another permanent family permanent opportunity well you know Sometimes that happens. Uh, you're correct in identifying that more often than not, that it doesn't go that way. And at some point when a child reaches a certain age um, and after the obligations of trying to you know, reunify and dedicate time to that uh, have passed, you know, there's more trauma that has occurred to this child. There are more um, you know, psychological issues and mental health needs and educational challenges and these ch children um, in some ways become branded, you know, difficult uh, kids or unadoptable as a, as a word that uh, used to be a term of art in this industry. It's really horrible. Um, but at a certain age, they just become, it becomes less likely, right, that that's going to happen for them. And Because um, nobody wants to adopt somebody else's problem. We all want, we went into the system, I admit, hoping that we'd find that little, you know, untainted child or baby that hadn't been uh, ruined by the situation and then we quickly find oh, there's a million people who want those so we, and we were older so we opted to adopt an older child and oh my god i mean these kids have been marred now but the good news is they're 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 shapeable they're they're they bounce back they're they're not lost 
Right. No, well, they're children. They're resilient. They've been through a lot. They've, you know, uh, they're afraid. They've, there's the, it runs the gamut of experiences that they've had. They've not had uh, a great experience. And though foster care is meant to be a solution to a problem, it often creates a whole nother slew of problems for, for children. It's oh, yeah. Not, Our it's daughter not a, went through four or five foster homes yeah. before that's we not, found her. That's not atypical, unfortunately. And a number of different mm. schools. I. It's quite difficult. So the solution is not a real solution. And uh, and yeah, the, the best that we can do is continue to offer that support to them. Um, these days you can stay in the system until you're 21. Um, oh, you I thought know, it was 18, yeah, to do right. so. yeah. Um, and, uh, but but yeah, it's 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 a struggle. It's it's tricky. So and go so, back to the key point. Who pays you? I thought it's court appointed. The court pays you. Don't we pay you through the court system here? No. So no, we don't. We don't get money from the court system. We're not really a. While we're a codified part of the process through the the, the statutory the governing uh, statutory uh, authority, we're uh, we're not paid as part of the court uh, process. So we do all of our fundraising privately uh that's not entirely true actually we do get about 13 percent of our um, revenue comes from government grants government money um but the bulk of our fundraising is done privately with uh, events uh, individuals foundations and, and just the generosity oh. of our community you know, let's talk about that for a second so as a committee member i know the gala yes. is always a, a great event each year and, and raises lots and lots of money um and i know that we had to push and postpone so um, now we're scheduled in September for a virtual event. So what is yeah. that uh, shaping up to look like? Yeah, well, again, thank you for all of your support as a, as a committee member, Bart, you do wonderful things for COSA and we're so grateful. Um, yes, we were supposed to have our largest uh, fundraiser of the year on March 14th. We decided uh, prior to being told that we, ha we couldn't have it, we decided to move it to September 26th, um, just in anticipation of what was going on. It was a large-scale celebration uh, honoring 35 years uh, of CASA and Orange County and, 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 and the you know, support and achievements that the organization has um, made over all those years. Um, while we were hopeful to be able to have it in September, it's, it's not going to happen. It's going to be a virtual event. And um, that this is sort of the, the interesting world that we're in. It will be our first time doing a virtual event. I know a couple nonprofits or a few are making that, that shift and giving it a try. But I'm actually pretty excited about uh, the way this is shaping up. I think it's going to be, uh, it's obviously going to be different, but it, I think it's going to be a really great event. Um, we've we've been working with uh, our team and our chairs to create a, a, a virtual experience that will include a drive-through where you pick up your food from Vaca. Vaca is going to be helping to provide the food that our sponsors and, and ticket holders have purchased for the night. Um, there'll be a drive-through area where you can come get your dinner and your wine and a little flower arrangement. And I think there's even going to be a step and repeat. And yeah, kind of, <laughs> you know, if you if you want to get out with your mask or not, you can uh, you know uh, participate there. Some of our larger sponsors will have the opportunity to have an in-home event if they want to do that. Maybe invite the folks that would have sat at their table and um, make it a little bit more of a, a, you know, a social occasion in as much as you can. And we'll have a virtual um, event with our honorees and our speaker and, um, and that will be open to the public. So anybody who wants to sign on and participate and check it out and see what that is like, someone who might not otherwise have been able to come to our event or been interested, but wants to see how we're, how we're handling this, we welcome them to come and um, check it out, so. 
we're hopeful that it will be a good pivot. That's quite a pivot, and it sounds like it's going to be amazing. Can I ask Bart a question? Maybe I'm going to put him on the spot here. Maybe he doesn't want to answer this, but I, I know you were on before, and I don't recall if we if I asked him at this time. How did you get involved in this, Bart? I mean, this is this is a very um, this is not a group that I'm sorry to say most people probably know about. The foster care system is is uh, confusing and under the radar enough, much less parts of the process like CASA. How did you find them and decide to get involved? Well, I, as I get older and older, the more I realize that anything to do with children really tugs at my heart. And um, this obviously is about children. And um, I, di- I did come across them through some mutual friends that were already involved in me, knowing my where my heart was, thought this might be of some interest to me. And the first time that I came and learned more about it, I realized that, that it was time well spent. Were you surprised that there was this something like this? I mean, I, I was surprised when we got into the foster care system how little I knew about it. And then as I've talked about it through the years, I mean, people know it exists, but they know nothing about it. It's really under the radar. How it works, who's in it, what the, all of this information. But we got all these kids floating around there, and it's this, they're sort of uh, off the radar from 90% of the world here. Yeah, I knew nothing about this. I know I know what foster children are, and I knew that existed. I didn't know the numbers. I didn't know statistics. I didn't know of what a CASA was. And so, yeah, it was, it's been quite an eye-opener in, in, in a great way. Give us a story, either one of you, of where a CASA made a big impact. They didn't just... Too often they think of advocates as just somebody moving the process along, and it's a long process as they try and reconcile and then eventually... Uh, they move on to trying to adopt them and all these things. It's a multi-year, multi-hearing kind of process that goes on and on. But tell us a, a, a happy story here. Every story, to me, involving a CASA is a happy story, regardless of the outcome, because I feel like, I mean, and there are some, I mean, don't get me wrong, incredible, astronomical changes, life-altering changes that a CASA has been responsible for creating in the life of a foster youth, you know, in terms of um, helping them to uh, achieve educational aspirations, um, you know, employment aspirations. I mean, just basic um, human functioning, uh, you know, goals that would have gone otherwise ignored or untreated because there was nobody to advocate and speak up and identify that these are issues um, that are easily addressed if someone can just make the right referral or, uh, you know, put this kid in the right classroom and get them the services they need. I mean, but the fact that these are volunteers, these are people that take time. I mean, most people volunteer, right? They want to get that that good high out of yeah. doing something right. really rewarding and really, um, you know. They want to hand of, somebody something. They want right. to they want to see a smile on their face. They right. want to pass right. out a present or a meal right. or whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, these volunteers, there are, I call them angels in human form. I mean, they go through 30 hours of training. They subject themselves to interviews and background checks and, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, references and whatnot. And then they become sworn in as officers of the court. They get matched with the child who, let's be honest, I mean, a lot of these kids are not, some of them might be really excited to get matched up with the CASA, but some of them are very weary and untrusting. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, what, what are you here for? Everybody that's in my life is paid to be here. They're, you don't care about me. They kind of push, push, push. It can be really hard to develop that connection. And these advocates keep coming back. They keep coming back. 
And um, sometimes it can take a while for there to be progress. And sometimes, sadly, um, the advocate might not during the life of that relationship necessarily feel that from the child. But it, 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 it comes around, I've, you know, the stories of, of youth reaching back out and saying, you were there for me, you helped me, you were the only one that believed in me, the only one that showed up for me, the only person that wasn't paid to be in my life. I mean, it's huge. So to me, I don't know, every story is remarkable because they all involve someone like one of our CASA volunteers that just does incredible stuff in the life of a child. And every small progress is, is, is huge progress for that kid. Most of the kids I saw, and we looked at quite a few and, and immersed ourselves in this, a lot of them are angry. A lot of them are suspicious of everybody. Every adult they know has screwed them over and 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 they and they're very weary and they're very distant and they're very they're not just scared they're angry how did i get here and why is this happening to me and what's going to happen next understandably right and uh so you have to have a lot of patience to go through the process you have a lot of patience yes go ahead sorry yeah i'm oh that's i'm sorry um 35 year anniversary that's just orange county correct that is that's just orange county okay uh yeah how does that compare like to the other counties or country where how long has the whole program been yeah the organization was founded in seattle by a judge actually who um felt like they needed more information to make sort of these life-altering decisions on behalf of kids that were in the system for you know maybe even being raised and and um, emancipated by the system um and so they created this program whereby a volunteer would come in and, and occupy that space in 1978 in seattle so it's been around for you know 42 years um and uh in orange county it was started here uh with a lot of support from the junior league and um really kind of got uh, up and running and we're we're sharing a bunch of um success stories and stories uh origin stories and and uh, about how we've come to be over the years throughout this process they'll be available uh, by the time we have our virtual event in september <laughs> So other than the event, discuss how people can actually help. Yeah, so I mean, the major ways uh, that the CASA is successful is is through buying through the, the volunteerism of our community members who are able to dedicate this kind of time and, and have the uh, ability to, to, to keep coming back and showing up. Consistency really is important for these kids who've been abandoned and um, haven't had that. Uh, so. We want to make sure they know what they're getting themselves into, um, but if they're up for it, uh, volunteering is a great place to start. We need, we always need volunteers. Um, and of those 3,500 kids in, in foster care in Orange County, we're only serving a fraction of them, um, 800 per year, roughly. So um, with a one-to-one -one match, uh, we're, we'll serve kids on the bus, on the wait list and in other ways, but um, that match is pretty critical. So volunteerism is huge. You can go online uh, at uh, www.casaoc.org. Um, to sign up for an information session and learn a little bit more about what that process looks like. Um, supporting us financially uh, and, and through other, there aren't a lot of significant volunteer opportunities apart from the, the advocate role. Um, they're few and far between because we really are about creating that that match, that one-on-one -on -one connection. Um, but it takes, it takes a village to get us there. We've got to recruit these folks. We've got to train them. We've got to coach them through the, uh, the chaotic uh, system, bureaucratic system, that is our foster care system and the court process. So we have a, a team of case supervisors and, and a program staff that uh, help 
uh, our advocates make it through. So, What's a typical us, CASA advocate look like? Are they young and idealistic? Are they old grandmas looking for something to do? Are they, uh, I don't know, are they attorneys? Are they uh, social worker types? Uh, so I tell people, we, they look like everybody, but I say that we were looking for people that are over 21, uh, going to clear a background check, uh, open mind, open heart. That is what we're looking for. You fit those categories, uh, you're for us. And, uh, and I think we're for you. Um, but we do, we get young folks. We've got lots of folks that have um, you know, finished raising their own children and, and are looking to, to do something meaningful um, as they're kind of in that empty nester phase. Um, I just got off a, a call with a group of, of folks with our advocate who's been with us the longest. She has been an advocate for 24 years. Um, it's just so, again, for most people, we ask for a two-year commitment. We do ask for that, again, for that consistency. Um, but we have a lot of uh, volunteers that will end their relationship for one reason or another and take another case and, and keep going. And um, sadly, and they make, what, a half a million a year or so? How much do they make uh, for oh, this? No, this, is this, is, this is a volunteer role. What? Again, that's why it's so remarkable. Yeah. It's, it's very remarkable. It's such a great program. Um, Regan, you may or may not recall that I get the honor of asking a final thought question. And yeah. it's at the end of the show and we're approaching that time. So what is your ultimate lesson learned over your career with with CASA? Yeah, we, I, so I think when I was asked this question before, and I, I think the answer is, is, is pretty similar to what it was before, it's that, you know, in this industry where we're seeing so many horrible things, things that are happening to these kids you wouldn't you, you couldn't imagine you, and you wouldn't want to wish upon your worst enemy um so you they, it starts from a very uh painful place but what i have i think privileged and the um the the great fortune of being able to see people good in people the people who are coming in to help to be a part of the solution to step and volunteer their time to, to donate their dollars to to care and i feel very fortunate to be able to see, i i think that people are inherently and want to be a part of the solution and uh, i i really value getting to see that through this role great um tell everyone how they can um reach you or reach your organization yes please come to our website at uh, www.casaoc.org uh, you can learn there about uh, becoming an advocate sign up for an info session um, make a donation um, learn about our events that are coming up we'd love to have you at our uh, september virtual event um that's just available for anyone so please check us out and um and you can uh we're not all in the office just yet um we're we're there in and out but um but you can certainly reach us via email and um and online that's so great reagan i know you, you've been extremely busy lately and so i want to thank you for taking the time it was great having you on the show again and look forward to seeing you in three dimension here sooner rather than later Always um, a pleasure, Bart. Thank you so much. And good Paul, to great. see you too, Paul. Good to see you, Paul. Well, you're doing good work. Keep it up here. I'm telling you, so in, these, you. in these times, we need it more than ever. We need to be inspired that people are basically good. We're so... Yeah, we're so for sure. That's yeah. for, for sure. sure. All right. So I want to thank everyone who has tuned in, and we look forward to being back in the studio again next week. Cheers. Thank you. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting bartzanbergen.podbean.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? 
email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. Bart A. Zanbergen, CFP, and Letitia Burbaum, AIF, are registered investment advisors with Optivist, Inc., and registered representatives with Gramercy Securities, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered by Optivist, Inc., under SEC registration. 